You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. The Kansas City Royals grew from an expansion team to division champs in just seven years. It was because of great pitching. No one on that early Royals staff was any better than Dennis Leonard. In his first full season with the club, he was 15-7, and and he got better from there. He's the only pitcher in Royals history to record three 21 seasons, which he accomplished within a four-year span. He had double-digit wins for eight straight years, and from 1975 to 1981, Leonard won 130 games, the most by any right-handed pitcher in Major League Baseball. He finished his career leading the Royals' Uh, all-time list in complete games with 103, shutouts with 23, and he was second in wins with 144. And these statistics are mind-boggling. He also held the club's single-season records in starts with 40, complete games with 21, and innings pitched with 294 and two-thirds, and strikeouts, 244. So, Dennis, welcome to Sports Connections. Well, David, I appreciate it. Uh, It's been a while since I chit-chatted on Zoom. Yeah, really. Really? Okay. Well, now I understand you were an East Coast guy, uh, Oceanside High School. I'm actually a 1977 graduate of Sable High School, just a little bit east of of where you were from. What was your reaction when you got drafted by the Royals? Well, basically, I think the reaction anybody would have is just to be drafted, period. Yeah. And I knew there was a lot of interest, you know, getting close to the draft. But actually, I thought I was going to be a Philadelphia Philly. Uh, There was one scout. His name was Joe DiCarlo. I mean, basically, I mean, he would call me. And if I threw on the side, if I was in a game, anytime I practiced, he was real friendly with my dad and everything else. So I actually thought I was going to be a Philly. But the year before, in 1971, I had a teammate in college at Iona that got hooked up in Fort Dodge, Iowa, with a semi-pro team. And he asked me if I wanted to go. So really never venturing too far out of New York City. My trip to Fort Dodge, obviously, was a little eye-opening for me, (laughs) uh, getting down there. And I said, man, I guess this is where the corn came from. Uh, you know, yeah. and the fields we played on were all dirt and it, but it was a semi-pro and I wanted to see how I compared with yeah. basically people outside the New York area. Cause that's basically the only place I ever played. So basically I was indoctrinated into the Midwest Yeah, and yeah, certain phrases like I asked for a soda and the people we were staying with, it was kind of odd. They offered me arm and hammer baking soda. Uh, <laughs> no, I said, you know, at there it was pop. It wasn't soda. Right. Uh, you know, the first game we played, uh, it was kind of in the cornfields, like the field of dreams. And the manager went out, you know, basically to exchange lineup cards. And when he came back, I asked him, I said, do they have different rules here? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, normally the point of the plate is towards the catcher. It's not towards the pitcher. So they had to dig up the whole, you know, <laughs> home plate and turn that around. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, it was just a an indoctrination, uh, yeah. actually. And I found out, though, the one thing, the people there were so genuine and sincere. Obviously, the pace of living was a lot slower than it was in the New York area. And really, I kind of liked it. So basically, when I got drafted by the Royals, number one, I kind of knew what I was going to get into. Number two, it was kind of great because they were a young organization. You know, their yeah. first season was 69, and this is 72. Yeah. So as far as, in my mind, as far as a chance to advance, 
it was a lot better than getting a pick by an established team, say the Dodgers or the Orioles had all those 20 game winners and all this stuff. So for me, it was a break. And, you know, basically, you know, I love it out here in Kansas city. I've made it my home and going to be here forever. It's funny when, when you mentioned Iona college, um, personal story with this, I used to work for the NCAA and in the publications division and we had a secretary who was the administrative assistant for six different people. One time somebody called to talk to the boss and she said, I'll tell him, who, uh, I'll tell him you're on the phone. Can I ask where you're from? Where you're from? And, and he said, I own a college. She goes, well, good for you. Where are you from? <laughs> I know. I, I ran into that a lot when people ask, oh, did you go to college? I, I, I said, yeah. I said, now, when I say this, don't get it the wrong way. I do not own a college, but right. it's Iona. <laughs> I-O-N-A, yeah. college, period. <laughs> yeah. and, and I knew about Iona because uh, my brother played high school basketball against Jeff Ruland. So, okay. Uh, yeah, he was one of the, you know, the few guys that really started out of Iona, you know, had a good year, a good career in the NBA. And then yeah. actually he came back and coached them for a while. That's right. That's right. Um, now, it only took you two years from when you were drafted to make your debut in the fall of, of 74. How did you progress so quickly through the farm system? Well, basically, uh, that's a, that's a tough question to answer. <laughs> you know, I let the people that make the decisions kind of answer those questions. But basically, when I started out, uh, when I first got drafted, they sent me to Kingsport, Tennessee. And coming out of college, I think you had a little bit of an advantage. Yeah. Uh, you know, we played teams like St. John's and Seton Hall. You know, we played good competition in college. And even though Iona was a small school, it was still a Division One school, and we played bigger schools. Right. So when I got sent to Kingsport, basically that rookie league consisted mostly of high school kids. So I was so far above them that I think I started two games and they shipped me out. And I said, wow, this is kind of cool. So I went to Waterloo, Iowa. Guess back. Guess what? I'm back in the Midwest again. (laughs) Yeah. So so I went to Waterloo and I finished out that season. And uh, I think I wound up four and three. I I had a coach. His name was Steve Boros, who Mm -hmm. now uh, since passed away. But I mean, he was really in my corner. I mean, he helped me out tremendously. And, you know, back then they didn't have pitching coaches. You know, there was a manager. Right. And that was it. Yeah. You know, there was no hitting coach. Right. These days are totally different. And so, you know, after that season, I went back and played in the instructional league. And, you know, you don't really know a lot about what's going on that first year. You know, you're bright eyed and bushy tailed. You say, oh, wow, I'm playing pro ball. Right. And obviously the main goal is to get to the big leagues. So, you know, I didn't know what kind of contract I was going to get or anything else, but asking around, they said they usually send out a contract from the team you were with the year before. So I was expecting a contract from Waterloo. Well, they sent me one where the double A team was in Jacksonville. And I said, wow, this is awesome. They're going to jump me up real quick to double A. So P.S. I didn't go to double A. I wound up going to San Jose in a high A league. But once again, Steve Boros was there and he was real friendly with Jack McKeon, who was the manager of the Royals at that time. Right. And in San Jose, you know, I had a really good season in San Jose and there was talk finding out later on that there was a possibility that I might go to Omaha, you know, to pitch kind of like the tail end at Omaha. But I think they made a decision, you know, seeing it was really my first full year 
just go down, you know, have a real good year and then see what happens the next year. Well, you know, so I went back, I was living in Sarasota at the time and Steve Boros actually was managing a team in the winter league in Puerto Rico. And he said, I think you can handle this. I mean, he had the confidence that I could handle that. So I got invited to go play winter ball in Puerto Rico that year. And lo and behold, the people over there weren't real happy when an A-League ball player came in and, you know, as an imported player to Puerto Rico. And typically, you know, I got off to a good start. At that time, I was already married. My wife was pregnant and she toured the uh, hospitals in Puerto Rico. And obviously she made a quick decision that she was going to fly back to New York to have the baby. (laughs) If you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, she did. And, you know, then when I went home, you know, I wanted to be there for the birth of my first child. And they were pretty good about it. They said, you know, from not wanting me really and getting off to a good start, then they said, you just go home and be there. Well, as luck would have it, you know, she kind of got delayed a little bit in delivery. And I was supposed to be home for two weeks. And I wound up being home for like a month. And, you know, all of a sudden they call me, when are you going to get back? <laughs> when are you going to get back? And I got time, I got back in time, you know, to uh, pitch a game or two and then pitch in the playoffs. So that experience really helped me and gave yeah. me confidence because basically back then, Puerto Rico was one of the better leagues to play in. You know, you're talking 19, what, 73. Yeah. And I'm playing against, you know, some major leaguers, AAA players, you know, that didn't get a lot of playing time. So I fared well there, and then you know I came back, and uh, in '74, you know, I went to Omaha and went to Omaha, and you know I did pretty well there. Uh, I mean I had a losing record, but we kind of had a team that had a lot of injuries. We didn't. The team we started with, I mean they went down like flies. I think everybody on that team got hurt, but fortunately for me, I didn't, and I think I wound up 10 and 13. But all my other stats were pretty good, and lo and behold, you know they called me up in the end of 70, the end of 74. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. And, you know, driving from Omaha to Kansas city, you know, it felt like it was like two days away, but it was only a couple hours and got to Kansas city. And it's like, wow, this is my lifelong dream, you know, to play in the big leagues. And when I got there, Jack McKeon was our manager. Uh, Steve Boros actually was one of the coaches. And, you know, basically I pitched, I think a couple of games in relief just to get my, you know, feet wet. And then I got to start. Well, P.S., you know, this story, (laughs) I'm not really familiar with war, but when you put that little question in there about war, I knew it was bad. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's actually a good stab, but go on. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, so, you know, I went out there and, you know, I wound up going, you know, 0-4, but it's really weird. I threw a lot of innings from when you, when you consider I was pitching in college in 72. I finished out the season. I went to instructional league, went back and threw a lot of innings in San Jose, pitched a little bit in instructional league, went to Puerto Rico and pitched, came back, pitched the whole year. I imagine in that two and a half year span that I was actually playing, I probably threw close to 600 innings. Wow. But back then, you know, that was pretty common. Yeah. So, you know, even though I was 0-4, I said, I can pitch here. I yeah. said, it's no big deal. I said, I, it gave me confidence, even though my stats weren't real good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my state of mind was, hey, this is just still the game, the same game. But it was a little weird, though, pitching against, quote, some of the players that I watched on TV. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, that was a little bit different. But, 
you know, after that, I got an invite to spring training in 75, my first chance down there. And Jack McKeon was still the manager. And, and, um, it, if it wasn't for a guy named Doug Bird, who was one of our relief pitchers, and he was pretty much established. Uh, back then, you know, we were in Florida where they had spring training. We were in Fort Myers, and I made basically every road trip across the state, you know, Pompano Beach and, you know, and all that. But, you know, as a backup to the backup to the backup. <laughs> and fortunately, Doug Bird, he says, I was in your position before. He says, I'm supposed to throw two innings today. He's not going to tell Jack one's enough. So lo and behold, he did that probably six or seven times for me. And I wound up giving up one run in 13 innings. Wow. And if, and if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have got those innings. Yeah. So as you know, push came to shove, you know, they had to make, you know, they had cuts and cuts and cuts and then it got down to the last day. And I figured Steve Boros would tell me, you know, see, and I, I was friendly with him. He, he coached me and managed me for several years. Yeah. And he says, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. Well, that particular year, Harmon Killebrew was with the Royals. Right. And we had a young infielder. His name was Rodney Scott. And Rodney Scott, basically, it turned out, was Harmon Killebrew's legs, his wheels. So I was the last guy cut when the team was basically boarding their flight to go north. And, you know, when Jack, when I talked to Jack, you know, he basically said, oh, you got the type of delivery you could get through the lineup once. And I'm thinking, what's he talking about? I never relieved in my life. But, you know, so I went, you know, I was disappointed. Obviously, we drove to Omaha and, you know, I got off to a wonderful start, 0-2 at about a 6.8 ERA. <laughs> You know, totally disgusted because I felt I kind of got the shaft. And then they wanted me, all of a sudden, he's telling me, oh, I can get through the lineup once, which I'd never had a problem getting through it more than once before. And uh, lo and behold, I was reading the paper in the favorite spot in the bathroom. And I got a phone call. My wife said, it's the manager, you know, from Omaha. And at that time, it was a guy named Harry Momberg. And I said, okay. So I said, I guess I'm going to get a chew out, you know, get your butt in gear, you know, don't be disappointed. You better start doing good. And all of a sudden he says, you're getting called up to Kansas city. And I said, you got the right guy. <laughs> I said, I said, are you serious? I said, I ain't doing that. Woofy. He says, you're going to Kansas city. And when I got up there, you know, it was like from the previous year, even though I didn't do well, it gave me that kind of confidence that I could pitch there. Yeah. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, I wound up, you know, being having good luck, I guess, and wound up 15 and seven my rookie year. Wow. Now, you, you mentioned war and obviously that stands for wins above replacement. Um, so the stat that I'm going to say is actually a very good stat. But if someone had come up to you in the fall of 74, you know, when you get your first taste of, of Major League Ball and said, you know, you're going to finish your career with a war of 25.7. <laughs> what would you have said? I'm help. Back then, I, I, back then, they never heard of war. And mm -hmm. right now, there are so many different phrases and terminologies yeah. in baseball, I still can't explain them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you better keep up with them. Every time you watch TV, there's another one. Exit yeah. velocity. Who cares? You hit the ball. Yeah. I launch, mean, launch angle and all and that stuff, yeah. I know. I can't. Then people ask me, I said, I don't know. I said, Google it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, back, I, I have no idea what all that was about. You know, yeah. all I know is I had one goal my whole life and felt very fortunate to accomplish it.
Let's talk about your pitching style. Your pitching style. Um, you were a bulldog. I mean, at least from from the outsider's perspective, you were one. Give me the ball. Get out of my way. <laughs> you just talk about your pitching style. Well, basically, you know, I learned, and you know, the veterans help a lot. Yeah. You know, when you get up to a, a big league club, and even in AAA, you know, they had some older pitchers there that pitch. And basically, I was the type of guy that was going to go after somebody. And, you know, my best pitch, obviously, was a fastball. And I learned, you know, that if you start playing games and start throwing curveballs and this and everything else and get behind 2-0, and that fastball isn't that effective. Yeah. So, you know, my philosophy when I was pitching – was here it is hit it it's me against you yeah if you beat me you beat me but i'm not going to give in because you know you look at the batting average and you probably know stats better than i do but you know three and one hitters three and oh hitters two yeah. and oh hitters i mean their averages are so much better so i said you know what you know i'm coming after them if they hit the first pitch great but i got a chance for an out i i i loathe i hated to walk people yeah. and p.s if you look at my home run numbers in some years they were pretty high and that was a lot of three and oh three and one <laughs> two and two and oh pitches i said here it is hit it and by god they did but you know i always felt too if you come after them real quick if you threw three pitches say a fastball curve and a change up the hitter has a little bit of doubt in his mind what pitch that you're throwing that first pitch but if it's two and oh, three and one, three and oh, they know what's coming. Right. Because there's not too many pitchers that have that much of confidence because you don't want to walk people that you're going to throw a three and oh curveball or a three and oh slider or something like that. They're sitting on it and they're in the big leagues for a reason. They can hit. Yeah. So basically, you know, I wanted to not only challenge hitters, but I wanted to be in there for nine innings. I mean, that was a goal, basically. You know, I had bad luck, <laughs> so to speak. We were talking about my own four start, and then that own four start in Kansas City in 74, I think most of those games I came out with runners on base, and the majority of those runners scored. So maybe that's being selfish on my part, saying, hey, I can finish this game, and I think any big leaguer, don't do it now, but any big leaguer back then, if the manager came out and said, how do you feel? I don't think anybody would have said, you know, take me out. Back then, I'm good. Then you give up another hit, and you're out anyway. So, yeah. but. You, you alluded to it, Dennis, that how the game has changed, and so much, you know, almost a, a paralysis by analysis on – Okay, it's it's a two one count, and this guy tends to go the opposite way when there's two one. If the you know if the day ends in Y and he's wearing the red sanitary socks <laughs> or or something like that, just talk about how different the game was when you were playing. Well, you know what I see today. If you know, I'll just talk about pitching. And I mentioned complete games, and you mentioned you know I had twenty one in one year. Yeah. I think twenty one complete games. I don't think all the teams in baseball nowadays would combine for 21 complete games. You know, got, you know, not even one, one team, forget it, but I'm talking, I mean, nobody completes games. Yeah. And, you know, that's part of, you know, the change uh, back then, you know, we had five starting pitchers. So basically I started in a four man rotation, which I loved. And then we went to five and then we'd have, you know, 
four relievers or five relievers. You know, now they got five starters. And I don't know, most teams carry 13 pitchers. They got eight relievers. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't think they ever really worried. I don't think back when we played, they were worried about radar guns and how hard you threw. They were worried yeah. about getting people out. Yeah. And if you get people out, if you threw 80 miles an hour, you're in there, you know. Yeah. And nowadays, it just seems everybody's out there. You know, they're bigger, stronger. Their training methods are different. Uh, you know, most of the guys that come out of the bullpen now are all throwing 95 plus, you know, and they go yeah. out and they just want to strike people out. And, you know, and, you know, that part of the game with pitching has definitely changed. Nobody counted our pitches when we played. Yeah, they they. Well, let me say this. They knew how many we played because we had to keep our charts. You know, they kept the chart. And but it wasn't the determining factor of taking right. you out of a game. You know, if you had 100 pitches and you're in a seventh inning and you're still getting people out, you were in there. Yeah. I mean, nowadays you get 100 pitches as the red flag comes up, you're out. And, you know, they'll run, you know, six or seven relievers in the last three innings. Yeah. And I don't think the mindset of any starting pitcher nowadays is to try to complete a game. Yeah. They're trying to, you get, know, through, trying and, to get through six. Yeah, well, yeah, six, you know, and hey, I got six and, you know, here we go again. Another another thing that I found out about a quality start and I talked to a young pitcher and this is when I was done. I never even heard of a quality start. And he goes, he says, what was your goal when you pitched? I said to go nine and get the W behind my name. I said, why? What's yours? He said, have a quality start. And I go, what does that mean? He says, give up three runs or less in six innings. So I said, that's quality. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's the 4.5 ERA boy. Yeah. I said, to me, that doesn't sound like quality. Yeah. I said, quality is when, to me, was when that W is at the end of my name. I said, you know what? You're going to have games where you give up five or six runs and you get a win. There's yeah. going to be games you give up one run and you're going to get a loss. I said, you don't add up game by game. You wait until the end of the season and then see where it all winds up. Yeah. Uh, Do you think you would have? Obviously, you had a different mentality, and I, I, I think the, the most famous pitcher who bucked the trend later uh, was Nolan Ryan, and he wasn't that, that much after you, but, um, you know, he talked about with, when he was the president of the Rangers that he didn't worry about pitch count. He, he wanted guys who wanted to, go, uh, wanted to go nine innings. How would you have done in today's game where strikeouts and home runs are at record highs? Well, obviously, you know, that's another part of the game that I, quote, forgot. I just talked about the pitching. But when I look from the whole perspective of the whole game, back then you try to get runs. I mean, if there's a man on second base and no outs, 90% 90 of the time, the next guy up is going to try to hit it to right field. Move that runner. I don't know how. That's how we, we were successful. I mean, then you get a sacrifice fly, score a run. I mean, nowadays, like you said, home runs and strikeouts. You know, I see, um, you know, not to pick on them, but if you watch the Royals and you see Soler up there, I mean, he had a great night last night, drove in six runs. But he swings and he almost falls down on every swing. (laughs) You know, back then, you know, you had two strikes on the hitter. These guys are going, they're not going to try to hit a home run. You know, they're going to try to put the ball in play and try to get on base. So, you know, I, I think, now, uh, you know, the strikeouts, I think, are a lot higher because, you know, these 
pitchers are only going, say, the starters five or six innings. Then you got these guys coming in that throw hard and, you know, from the perspective of a game and trying to win and, you know, analytics, uh, you don't see the same pitcher four times and, you know, different things like I, I got a real kick out of when you start to start the reliever and then put the starter in after the reliever. And that was another one that baffled me, you know, yeah. came out of Tampa Bay, I think. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I, I think I would have fared well. And I would have been brought up in a different atmosphere because I think right now, when you look at even in Little League and high schools and colleges, I mean, everything is predicated on a pitch count. You know, so, you know, they're trying to protect arms and this, that, and the other thing. But I don't know, that pitch count, I I see a lot of injuries (laughs) also now, too, that were never recorded before. Yeah. I want to, I want to switch gears here a little bit. Um, the, another thing that's different in today's baseball is that players all seem to be each other's buddies, including the other team. Talk about, oh. the, talk about, okay, go ahead. You, you had a comment about that before I asked. Okay. Is this going to, this has something to do with the Yankees? <laughs> yeah, could be. <laughs> could be, huh? <laughs> Well, you know, I, yeah, I I don't understand. I guess the game has changed also, getting back to that. We didn't have buddies. Yeah. We were not permitted. The umpires would sit in the stands when the other team batted, took batting practice and we took batting practice. There was no fraternizing with the other team. I mean, now you see these guys laughing with each other. You know, guy get on first and they're buddy-buddy. I'm like, really? This yeah. is your enemy. You're in yeah. between the white lines. I said, what are you friendly with them for? Yeah. I said, after the game and nobody sees you, that's good. And, you know, different antics, you know, like the Royals guy, when they won the World Series, you know, they get a base hit and all of a sudden they're flipping their hair and giving all these funny signs. And, yeah. you know, back then, if they ever did that, the next guy up is going to get drilled. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. guys hit home runs down and they put on a big show, flip a bat, you know, blah, blah, blah. That wouldn't happen back when we played. Yeah. And it was probably even worse before I played. Yeah. Because I know a little story when we were playing in Chicago one time, I was pitching the second game of doubleheader, and this was 1977. And that's the year that Na 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 song came out, and, you know, at the ballpark there. And yeah. we'd never seen it before. And we lost the first three games. And then the, in the third game we played, I don't know, somebody hit a home run and they took their time running around the bases. Our team was really pissed off. Yeah. So then, you know, we, we got in the next game, fortunately, you know, we got a lead. And I think Hal McRae hit a home run. I think he's still running around the bases, you know. <laughs> and Amos Otis was the same way. And, you know, but they did it more or less because the other team did it and wanted yeah. to show them what it looked like. And back then, you know, the biggest word, that's Bush. <laughs> you know, that's Bush. You yeah. know, you don't do those things. You don't show up a pitcher just as much as a pitcher don't show up a hitter. But nowadays, yeah. you know, you see the pitcher out there doing this and then they, you yeah. know, he strikes a guy out. And I mean, that aspect of the game, and maybe they get away with it now because the fans like it. I don't yeah. know. The whole game has changed to what the fans like. <laughs> yeah. And you can't retaliate. You know, I mean, no, I, 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 that, I, when I first started following baseball, Bob Gibson was a bit, was a big, Oh God, know, he's and, a toughie. And if, you know, if you, if you smiled after getting a base hit the next time you'd wear one between the two and the four or whatever, um, or, or Don Baylor, 
you know, if he got hit by a pitch, didn't matter if the, where the next ball went. He was going to go take out the second baseman spikes high. You can't, oh, yeah. do that. you can't do that anymore. You're suspended for a game. I want to go back to the Yankees rivalry with, with you guys. Uh, one of my, one of the things that just boggles and I've got a 37 year old son and he's like, they didn't get suspended and kicked out. George Brett sliding into third base and it might've been in the playoffs in 77 uh, sliding into third base and fighting, literally exchanging fisticuffs with Greg Nettles and neither one of them got kicked out of the game. And it was expected Hal McRae sliding in, taking Willie Randolph into left field. And neither one of them got thrown out of the game. It just, it well, was just a different atmosphere, wasn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, you played for real. I mean, <laughs> and that's why they put some of these rules in, yeah. you know, cause they always talk about the slide rule. That's the Hal McRae rule. Right. I mean, Hal was tough and George was tough, but I think when you look at a player in the clubhouse, when I played, Hal McRae was the leader. Yeah. I mean, Hal taught George how to play hard. And, you know, that's just Hal's makeup. And you don't want to be, I mean, there was some, I mean, taking people out. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was common. Yeah. And, you know, then, it, heck, you know, something happened and it was, and if you did it cleanly, you don't want to do it dirty, you know, spike right. somebody. Right. But they used to throw, you know, body rolling blocks at them and everything else. Now yeah. you got to slide within the vicinity of the base and everything's hunky-dory. But, you know, that, that was just part of it. And, you know, in 76, when, you know, we finally got to the playoffs, we didn't know. I mean, that was the first playoffs the Royals were ever in. Right. And, you know, to overtake Oakland, they were always the kingpin of our division. And finally, we kind of almost backed into that because we lost three out of four games in Oakland. We were only a a game or two ahead. And Minnesota came in here for the last three games. And I think Oakland went to Anaheim and Anaheim beat them. And we barely – creeped into those playoffs but you know it gave the team confidence and then the yeah. next couple of years but then there's the old yankees again like you bring up you know my favorite <laughs> team growing up that i love to hate now <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna ask you to to put yourself out on a limb a little bit and i don't want to portray you as the the old guy well back in my day or whatever but here's the question is baseball better now than it was when you broke in well, better now, it, if you just talk about the game of baseball, I like the way it was played earlier. Yeah. You know, uh, right now, and I guess you have to have, if you, the, like, say the Royals. Who's, if I was to ask you who's the Royals' biggest rival, who would you say? They don't have really a rival. No, they really don't. I mean, back then, it was always rival, you know. And I guess if you go to the National League, the Cardinals and the Cubs still. But back then, it was us and the Yankees, us and Oakland. You know, people, oh, they they couldn't wait until we played each other because, you know, there was always something that was exciting was going to happen. It could be a fight. It could be this. It could be that. So, that's back. But uh, I'll tell you one thing that – is a lot better now is the financial rewards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And you don't have to be that good to make them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because John Schultz, you, you you know John is, you know he's yeah. president of the Braves now, but he was here. He was in the minor leagues. You know, he was an assistant minor league guy, and I talked to him every now and then. He goes, "Can you imagine if you were playing now?" I said, "John, I don't even want to think about it." Yeah, I said it. 
I mean, thinking about it, it just drives me crazy because I look to it past players, you know, growing up, Mickey Mantle was my idol, you know, and if you're a hundred thousand dollar ball player back then, you know, I mean, regardless of what, I mean, so they looked at what we made and probably flipped in their graves too, you know, so yeah. everything's equal, but I think nowadays, I mean, when they're giving out 300 and some odd million dollar contracts and I'm like, wow, yeah. I'm like, it'd have been fun to be in that end. <laughs> yeah. How, how, how much do you think you would have made the year after if you were a free agent the year after throwing 21 complete games or pitching 294 and two thirds innings or striking out 240, 244. How much money do you think you could have made? Well, I, I think I'd be up there pretty good. You know, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I'd be in the probably 18 to 20 million range Yeah, a year. Yeah. You could probably live on that. Couldn't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and probably even spend a little, you yeah. know, even get, get rid of, of some of it, you know, get some of the luxuries, get a new boat, you know, get a new car every year, you know, whatever. Yeah. Give some to your but, favorite you know, uh, podcaster. <laughs> hey, like I told you, I'm illiterate when it comes to these things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you, one of the things that I think is unique, and it's certainly not in your day, there were more guys that did this, but it's certainly very rare today. You spent your entire career with the Royals. Why do you think that's so rare? Besides, obviously, somebody's going to offer you a lot more money. You have to consider that. But you think there's other reasons besides that? Well, number one, if you go back to the time we played, we didn't really have the freedom that players have today. I mean, when we started out, there was no arbitration. Right. And it was towards the middle of my career, they had very limited free agency where right. I think it was the bottom 13 teams, you know, had a right to do this and this, that, and the other thing. So the freedoms, we didn't have the freedoms, you know, thank goodness for Kurt flood, so to yeah. speak. And we were on strike a couple of times. So, you know, I don't think a lot of these current players actually realize we're the ones that got them what they got now. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was just kind of, one of those things, Mr. Kaufman, who was our owner at the time, you know, he kept a lot of us together. I mean, when you look at the teams we had when we were successful, I mean, he kept George Brett. I mean, you know, look at the lifetime roles, George, me, Paul Splitorf, you know, Frank White. I mean, he kept the nucleus of that team with three and five year contracts. Yeah. So he had the foresight, you know, to do that with the main cogs. And he kept that team together. And, you know, who knows at the time if there was free agency like it is now and they're giving up that much money. Yeah. I'm sure that team, there would have been players that would have left. But yeah. he always made a conscious effort. Kansas City is not a big market, but it's a very, very comfortable place to play. I mean, the fans are great. I mean, you can lose. And they're not out there booing you all the time, like, say, in a New York or Chicago or, yeah. you know, some of the big areas. Fan friendly. I mean, you go out. I mean, everybody knows you. you you're not lost in the crowd, so to speak. Yeah. So it really is convenience to the ballpark. You know, I mean, it's out there where, you know, you don't have to fight traffic, like getting into Yankee Stadium or even going to Boston, yeah. you know. So there's there's the pluses and the minuses. Obviously. Being a small market team now, you know, with free agency, the affordability isn't there to yeah. sign a Machado or, you know, sign a Verlander or something and give them all that money because it just don't work for here. 
Right. So, you know, they always relied through their farm system, you know, to, to do good. And when they won the World Series, when you look at those guys, the Hosmas, Musakas, you know, some of the pitchers, they all came through the farm system that matured at one time right. and they were successful. And, you know, when you look at our team, you know, Cedric Tallis in the beginning was a GM. He made some great trades, you know, at McCray and Otis and Mayberry waiting on the farm system. But then all of a sudden, you know, you got George, you got Frank, and then, you know, Freddie Patek was another one that came over. And then you got UL Washington. Then you had Al Cowens, you know, Tom Poquette. There was a lot of guys that played on those teams that came through the farm system. So the farm system came pretty quick. Yeah. So, you know, that was the success of the Royals, really. A blend of some veterans, good trades by Cedric Tallis, and the farm system came along and produced. You mentioned the 2015 Royals that won the World Series and how that was a, you know, a homegrown for the most part, I mean, you got Johnny Cueto, you got Ben Zobras, guys like that. But for the most part, it was guys that came up through their system. That's what they have right. now. I know you still live in the Kansas City area. You still follow the team. What do you think of this team? Do you, do you see, maybe we're a couple of years away, but do you see potential for something like 2015 happening again? When you got three, well, of, the, three of those first-round picks now with the club, uh, you got another one probably not too far away with Jackson Coar. You got Asa Lacey who's coming up. You've got a lot of depth in the farm system. Do you see similarities between maybe your clubs and the clubs in 15 with today's club? Yeah, I, I can see some. And, you know, and everything's growing pains. Yeah. You know, like Brady Singer, for instance. I think he's going to be one heck of a pitcher. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, Bubik, you know, they, they brought him back up. He had a good start. I mean, a lot of this is a learning curve. Yeah. And, oh, God, I, you know, I'm bad. Who was the, the left-handed pitcher that had – he got kind of rocked pretty good. Oh, Daniel he was Lynch. A number, yeah. Now, there's a guy. I mean, it's kind of like, welcome to the big leagues. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, big league hitters, you know, they're not chumps. They're there for a reason. Yeah. And sometimes what's going to help them and what helped me – I never got down after a loss. You know, I was always positive. I said, okay, they got me today, but I'm going to get you tomorrow. Yeah. And I always took something positive out of a loss, yeah. whether it was a good fielding play, a good pitch I threw. But then on the flip side of it, when I had a, a good day, I always took something out of that game that I can improve on. So the mental aspect of this game, a lot of people don't realize it can either help you if you stay positive or it can mess you up, if you go, oh, my God, I'm going out there. I'm not pitching good. Right. I don't know what's going to happen. If you go out with that attitude, you're going to get your butt kicked. Yeah. But I, I can see, you know, the growing pains. You know, there's going to be patience. I think, you know, when Ned Yost was here as a manager, I think he was brought here for a reason, you know, to nurture these young kids. And hopefully Matheny, you know, I don't know him real well. I got to know Ned because, you know, we go out to the ballpark and I seen him in spring training. But yeah. I think – you know, with knowing Dayton, he's going to have to have a manager that's going to be a little bit patient with these players yeah. and, you know, kind of see him through. And to be honest, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you know, the Royals had good pitching and everything revolves around that pitching, pitching yeah. and defense. Yeah. Um, just let you reminisce a little bit. You have any, I mean, you were in the, in the bigs for 12 years. Do you have any favorite memories that, I mean, I'm sure you have a bunch, but when somebody says, what was your best memory of being a major league ball player? What, what comes to mind? Well, you know, number one, 
having the opportunity to play is definitely, you know, the top yeah. of anybody's list. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the memories you meet people, you know, through baseball, uh, you keep the bond. It, there is a bond with baseball players, just like there is a bond with any professional sports team, you know, cause when you think about it, you're with your teammates almost more than with your family. Yeah. You know, when the season starts. So, you know, you got those bonds and the people that stayed in the area, like John Mayberry, I'm in, you know, I'm in touch with him a lot. You know, some yeah. of the other players that are in the area. And we have an alumni. We had a meeting yesterday. And to see the guys that you played with, and some before and some after, you know, it's important. Uh, and, you know, memories, you know, you can pick a game. What was your favorite game? And you remember when Mark Fidget was a hot tamale? Yeah. I mean, yeah. everybody, the bird, the bird. And I never made an all-star team, you know, not once. But one year, I think it was, 77 maybe I got off to a good start I had a bad habit of getting off the bad starts you know three and six something like that yeah, but then yeah. I I, I kind of took off when the weather got warm but you know Whitey Herzog pulled me in in New York and he says you know is they want to they're talking about you being on the all-star game so we're going to skip your turn and I'm like whoa and now my family's in New York and, you know, telling my dad was like putting it in the New York times. <laughs> so I said, dad, you know, I, I said, I think I'm making this all-star team. So I'm, I'm like pumped. I said, yeah, this is like only my third year in the big leagues, you know, and I'm, I'm going to be on an all-star team. Well, PS as habit, you know, they got to take a player from every team. And I was bumped. They said, no, because I think that same year they took Rich Gossage from the White Sox, who yeah. was a starter at that time. And I was like something like nine and three or nine and two, something like that. And Gossage had four wins and, I don't know, eight losses, but they had to take a player. <laughs> so anyway, you know, I, I never got to the All-Star game. And after that, I didn't really care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I said, you know, a lot of this is political. Yeah. But, you know, after that, snub so to speak we wound up going to detroit and it was kind of cool my father-in-law flew from new york and he came up to watch me pitch and lo and behold who am i pitching against mark, mark fidrich <laughs> and i went out there and uh i beat him one to nothing you know every time he pitched they had a full house you yeah. know i mean and even after that game as i was walking in through the tunnel the only thing you can hear all the the fans chanting bird bird you know they wanted him to come out for an ovation yeah and i'm like screw the bird <laughs> you know <laughs> but you know little memories like that and yeah. obviously uh you know i suffered that bad injury to my left leg and probably the the game that i cherish the most a memory is you know i, I got hurt basically i got hurt in 82 i Got hit with a line drive, broke two fingers. Fortunately, it didn't hit me in the eye. I got over that. Then in 83, when I blew out my knee, I, I did a good job on it. I tore the whole patella tendon off my kneecap. And subsequently, I had four operations. Mm -hmm. And I think as the operations kind of continued, my chances were getting less and less. But the doctors never told me that, and I wouldn't have believed them anyway. Yeah. So as luck would have it, Danny Jackson was – one of the young pitchers coming up and right before we left spring training, I missed basically three years. You know, I got hurt. I think of in April of 83, I missed all 84. I missed basically all 85. And 
then, you know, I got a chance to come back in 86, which was my last year, but I wouldn't even started this game, but Danny Jackson twisted an ankle running in the outfield. He hit a sprinkler head. So they put me in and it was almost like a storybook ending for me. You know, when the uh, NBC game of the week, you know, with Tony Kubek and all that, well, they told me I'm going to start. I go, okay, cool. You know, I'm ready. I mean, and they said, you're going to start this Saturday game. And it was the game of the week. And the only thing that went through my mind, I said, don't embarrass yourself. Don't embarrass yourself. (laughs) So I go out there and the game's rolling along, you know, in the fifth inning, it's nothing, nothing. I'm going, huh? And now we're in the sixth inning, nothing, nothing. And I'm like, and it got to the seventh and we actually scored a run. And we were playing Toronto at home. And, you know, I've, I wound up, I think I got, I got into the ninth inning. I think there was one out, if I recall right. And then somebody got a base hit. And the pitching coach came out, or actually Dick Hauser was the manager. He came out. He goes, there's no way I'm taking you out of this game because the fans here will hang yeah. me. Yeah. So he says, I just want to give you a little break, take a breath. And, you know, I wound up finishing the game. You know, I pitched a three-hit shutout. Wow. Against Toronto, one to nothing after missing three years. And ironically, I strike out the last guy who at one time was one of my our teammates, Rance Mullen. Yeah, I remember Rance. Yeah. Yeah. So I struck him out to end the game. But after that game, you know, it was like my whole goal of all my surgeries, all the rehab and everything else, I wanted to play one more game. Yeah. And if I had, you know, I told my wife, I said, I'm quitting after this. I said, you crazy? Well, I didn't want to, I, I can't say what she really said, Yeah. <laughs> but it had something to do with contract <laughs> yeah. Yeah. last year of it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I gotta, I gotta ask you something. I don't know if this is a fact, but I heard from, from somebody that one time in a, did you ever, well, let me, let me couch it this way. Did you ever go to the Royals fantasy camps as one of the former players? I go there all the time. Okay. I heard a story that one time somebody, you know, had a base hit off of you and got really, um, really smug about it. Did you ever plunk one of the campers <laughs> with the pitch? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't do it intentionally. I, you know. Oh, wait a minute. Now you're a former, you're a former big league. No, 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 no. I, heck, Did you number ever one, plunk I, a, a, a camper? I might've. <laughs> In jest, in jest. Yeah, yeah. maybe not with but maybe not with this, a ninety mile an hour fastball, but you let yeah. him know it wasn't appreciated, right? Yeah, well, even like when we do batting practice, you know, even you know, sometimes the Royals do alumni batting practices. Yeah, and you know, we're close, just like they have in the major leagues, and we're throwing batting practice. Here's the rules: you don't hit it up the middle, but we have a screen there. Yeah. So every once in a while, you know. They're, they're trying to hit it, period, yeah. and then they bang it off the screen. The next one I throw behind them. Yeah. You know, just kidding around. But you talk <laughs> about that story about plunking somebody. Yeah. I don't know if you remember. Equitable used to have the old-timer series. Yeah. Do you ever remember that? Yeah. And then I think uh, Upper Deck Cards took it over for a couple of years, then they yeah. discontinued it. Yeah. Then you brought up Bob Gibson, Pete yeah. LeCock. We were at this all, you know, this old timers game. Yeah. And Bob Gibson was pitching, and I guess at one time Pete LeCock hit a home run off of him. <laughs> and I, I, this is true story. And they don't, I mean, they, they, Pete lives in Arizona, you know. They, I mean, it's not like they're buddy buddy. Yeah. 
And in that old timers game, when Pete got up, Gibson drilled him. <laughs> I think he beat, I think he pinch hit or something and beat Gibson with that home run. And Gibson never forgot that. And when Pete got up years later in these old timers game, he drilled him. <laughs> and, and that, and I'm sorry for anybody who's a fan only of today's game, but that's the way baseball's supposed to be played. Yeah. You know? And you know what? Normally, that's another. I mean, when you see, you said, you know, you can't retaliate. You know, when people hit a home run now, if you throw inside, you get almost, you get in a warning. Yeah. yeah. Back then, there was there was a respect. Yeah. I respected that hitter, and he yeah. respected me. And if you hit a home run, or for me, the next guy isn't getting up there with arm, you know, arm pads on and digging yeah. a hole to get ready to hit because he knows. Back then, it was a yeah. given. Yeah. You're not trying to hit them, but yeah. you're coming up and in. And then everything's back to normal. You know, you're just making a point. You know, they made their point. And everything was peaceful. Now yeah. everybody wants to fight and do this and everything. Yeah. It's crazy. All right, last question. I always like to wrap up with this one. What is your legacy? You know, I was looking at that question. I even asked my wife. I said, what the heck? How can I answer that? <laughs> <laughs> I said, she goes, basically the grandkids, uh, you know, trying to lead them a little bit and, you know, through baseball, uh, I would say from a fan standpoint, if somebody looked back, I would say that I would want them to know that every time I walked out on the field, you know, I gave it my best. Uh, I left it on the field. I never brought anything back with me. And, you know, hopefully they appreciated the effort, not only that I made, but the teams that I played on that we went out, we played hard and we played to win. That's awesome. Well, Dennis, I appreciate, uh, appreciate your time. Um, we will stay in touch. And uh, next time we're both at the ball game, I'll stop by and say hello to you. Okay, David, I appreciate the call. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.